Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Stephanie Sawyer Ryan Levy Aaron K. Balabinian Kitty McKeon with original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, episode 12. Hello, this is Nobilis from the Nobilis Erotica podcast at nobilis.libson.com. You're listening to Antithesis, book one, and this is the story so far. In a routine audit, Underworld boss Cassie Orenthal discovered that Scott Walters, one of her dock workers, is missing. Her lieutenant, tasked with keeping her informed of the goings-on on the dock, failed to mention the absence, but according to Joss Kyle, the missing man has shown up on Nineveh, vending stolen Persian military secrets. Cassie thinks the revolution has a security problem. Her controller in the conspiracy, a man known to her only as Loxley, agrees and decides to call in some outsiders to investigate the problem. Jim Hartman, private investigator, is currently in exile on Mars. Homesick, and with his marriage on the rocks, he found precious little there to make his life worth living, until he found a place that sells whole spices. While his wife Allie doesn't seem to care that he's slipping away, the spices are their own reward. A little taste of home in a cold, empty prison on a dead planet. His cooking is all he lives for, and the light, carefree woman who sells spices for a local commune doesn't hurt either. Meanwhile, Joss and Cassie have to figure out what to do about their security problem. Tiny specks of brown dust lighted on the surface with barely a ripple and spread. They were joined by a second sprinkling as the shaker jolted gently, a forefinger tapping on its base. As the granules hit the coffee, the scents melded and wafted up to Joss's nostrils. Delightful. He dipped the end of his PPD stylus into the dark liquid and swirled it around until the spice was well mixed in. The cinnamon brought out the earthiness in the coffee, softened the bitterness, and took the edge off the over-roasted flavor. He took a sip and rolled it around in his mouth, the taste bringing back memories of his teenage addiction to the archaic works of Frank Herbert. When he was reading those books, he always had spiced coffee to go with them. <laughs> the spice must flow. It was the last of the coffee left over from Cassie's visit. For the next pot, he'd have to dip back into the freeze-dried dreck that normally sufficed. Even if it hadn't been for the cost of boosting it up out of the gravity well, quarantine rules on Nineveh were strict. The farms and gardens were only into their third growing season, and the soil chemistry was fragile. Only seeds and embryos were allowed through quarantine, and then only by personal order of the chief ag inspector. A space station's survival depended on its self-sufficiency, and the heart of that concern was the Greenbelt. Nineveh's command staff frowned on parasites and took every measure to keep them off station. 
at least when it came to the flora and fauna. So the ag inspectors were the only public officials on the station who couldn't be bribed to pass something through customs. With the incorruptibles in the way, station-grown coffee and freeze-dried instants were the only options. But Cassie... Joss inhaled the fumes coming off his mug and imagined that he could see the mountain orchards of Columbia, the trees bursting with coffee berries. That woman can smuggle anything anywhere. He didn't know how she did it, but he had to work with her, and there was something to be said for the peripheral benefits. So long as they stayed peripheral. Message waiting. The soft, insistent voice of his office terminal startled his train of thought straight off the tracks. There was work to do. Play message. The wall's terminal menu screen cleared and was replaced by a Terran Global Network news bite. Ever since Senator Shelley gaveled a Space Affairs Committee meeting to a close prematurely a month ago, rumors have been flying here on Capitol Hill about a possible attack on his family. Today, in a brief statement to reporters, the senator confirmed the rumors. Thank you for coming here today. A month ago, I received word that my daughter Marion was attacked on Space Station Sidon. I can't release any further information at this time, but an investigation is ongoing. We ask for your thoughts and prayers during this difficult time. Thank you. That was three hours ago. Already, subpoenas are being issued by the Space Affairs Committee. The screen cleared for a moment, flashed the incoming transmission message, and Cassie's face appeared on the screen. Cassie, God does have a sense of humor, I see. Been finding lice in your coffee again? No, that would be justice. The universe is running a deficit at the moment. That's not going to change anytime soon. Any news on when your next run's going to be? I was planning to turn it around for another ore run next week, but there have been some... complications. You still have that courier with you? Your wayward Doc Rat? Yeah, what do you want me to do with him? Hang on to him for a while. We need to figure out how he disappeared without being noticed, and I don't want him around here to cock things up. You do have complications. He took a sip of his coffee. It's the first leak we've had in a while. Have him stay on while I run it down. Ah, fun and joy. He'll be finding a lot more of those in the next few months. I don't think so. We've got a pretty tight ship here. Just gotta keep it that way. We'll see about that. Joss muttered under his breath far too quickly for the mic to pick him up. Did you pass on my report on the fleet deployments? There was nothing new in it. Joss shook his head and laughed. <laughs> then looked up at Cassie's image with what he hoped was unexpected warmth in his voice. Cassie. He smiled at her with affectionate condescension, as much as he could stomach. Cassie, you recruited me for this. You wouldn't have done that if someone didn't like my CV. So, from now on... If I put something in a report... He paused for impact, then screwed up his face into a snarl and growled, You'd better pass it on. My job is to pass on useful information. Your report was old news. You're not qualified to make those judgments. I am your controller. You're a two-dollar hood with a social conscience and no brains. I don't work for you. I work for the people you report to. He made a point of drinking the last bit of coffee at her. If you can't handle that, I'll find my way around you. Now it was Cassie's <laughs> turn to laugh. I'm sorry. I thought you were a historian. Economist. 
Even I don't know who I report to. That's how resistance cells work. It's me or nothing. Joss turned around and walked away from the terminal, muttering just loud enough for the microphones to pick it up. Bloody little difference at this point. Cassie sighed heavily and adopted a more diplomatic tone. Listen, Joss. She faltered and stopped as if the thought died on her tongue. No, you listen. He kept his back to the camera. I'm not going to continue working with you unless you keep up your end of the deal. You pass on my reports. He turned and stalked authoritatively up to the camera. Or the deal's off. Don't be clever, Professor. I know who's looking for you. If I get the slightest inkling that you're even thinking about turning on me, I'll strangle you with your own fallopian tubes. <laughs> this is hardly the time for foreplay. As a cover, it almost worked. Would have, if Joss hadn't seen her blanch. He sneered at the camera and rolled his eyes, then picked up a pen and started tapping his knuckles with it, one at a time. He worked his frustration out through the precision of the timing of the taps. Joss heard a door open off camera. Cassie looked to her left, nodded once, then looked back at him. The door closed. You secure on your end? Yes, it's fine. My next appointment is outside. You saw the vid? Yeah, I did. Joss waited until there had been enough time for the delay to clear, but Cassie just sat there expectantly. Oh, you can't be serious. Joss, you know how this works. Know how this works? I was teaching this kind of thing before you were squeezed out of your first pressure suit. You can't be serious. They want assurances. They have to know they can trust you. No, they don't. They know they can't trust me. No one trusts a defector. Joss, please. Don't beg. It doesn't look good on you. He took a breath and shook his head to clear it. The vid, Joss. Don't insult me by claiming you need my analysis. If that's what it takes, consider yourself insulted. Unbelievable. I'm working with a tribe of toddler chimpanzees. Whenever you're ready. Her voice was a brittle shell of tolerance. The attempts at diplomacy and friendliness, gone. Well, she's back to normal. Okay. This is a setup. The statement he gave to the press is laying groundwork. If this were a run-of-the-mill mugging, there'd be no need for a weeks-long investigation or the press conference with intimations of secrets. This is political, and the press conference is for our benefit. It gives us the chance to flesh out the attacker before they do. Joss twirled the stylus in his fingers. Something didn't fit. He stopped in mid-stride and looked at the camera again. Cassie, your controllers. They have more intel on this, don't they? Nothing we can confirm. Cassie studied him through the screen as if waiting for him to make an inductive leap like a latter-day Sherlock Holmes. He decided not to spend the mental energy to resent her for it. Has the Resistance started running operations against the Terran governments yet? She shot him a puzzled look. No, not that I know of. She turned it over in her mind for a moment more. No, I'm sure they wouldn't do anything preemptive. Shelley used to give these deathly speeches on the Senate floor about the danger of turning the lunar government against the U.S. He's more afraid of a rogue tribe of loonies than he is of the other party getting a hold of his bank records. <sighs> the U.S. can't afford to have us against them. Shelley knows that. They depend on our mineral exports to keep them independent of the Persians. But he's positioning himself to change his vote. So again, what else do you know? Nothing confirmed. 
Then give me the rumors, for Christ's sake. I'm too old for dancing, and you don't have the legs for it. Her eyes cursed him, but he could see that he'd gotten through. They're saying it's a political statement by... A radical free Luna faction, right? What, do they rape her and then leave a note telling her to back off? Oh. Joss's stomach sank and turned a sickening shade of green. Or something like it? Something like that. And because it's a terrorist attack directed at him, he'll have no choice but to change his vote. Because he's made his career out of opposing the terrorists in the Yucatan. Our lives just got a lot more complicated. Lovely. He sat down and mentally chewed on a whole lot of nothing for two or three minutes. Cassie didn't interrupt him. He sighed heavily and rubbed his temples. <sighs> well, I told you this wasn't going to be easy. How long will the investigation buy us? No one who knows is telling me. Maybe a week, maybe a month. Well, however long it is, that's how long we got to find the perp and hand him over. If we don't, and Shelley's out of the way, we're going to get caught in a two-front shooting war by the new year. We got our work cut out for us, you and me. Of course we do. How many more times are you going to put me through this flea circus before they stop testing me with shadowing their analysts in these goddamn gerbil games? You're right. No one trusts the defector. Well, they got bigger problems than me now. You got some house cleaning to do. Chances are the purpose somewhere in your organization. She nodded. I know. They, he jerked his eyes sharply upward, are going to be turning their eyes towards you, too. And they're not going to like what they find. Unless... Unless they send the wrong man looking. What precisely do you mean? Ah, now there's a tale in the telling. Before I defected, we were already watching. You think this is news? We were watching closer than you'd guess. Once this house-cleaning operation gets around to you, it's gonna get nasty. What do you mean? I mean the U.S. already has men inside, maybe even some on the board. No? He knew she'd try to interrupt him, and he knew what she was going to ask. I don't know who they are. I do know that they're there. And if this house-cleaner is one of them, your organization is the first place he'll start looking. I'd watch your back if I were you, Cass. They don't know who you are yet, but they will. And they'll try to pin this on you. They won't. But thanks for the thought. Well, watch your ass anyway. I'd hate to see it get shot off. Yeah, then what would you hold on to to keep from falling out of bed? <laughs> My point exactly. <sighs> Joss sighed and looked at the empty coffee cup. Only a cup or so left in the pot. Coffee's running low here. He held up the empty mug and turned it over for her benefit. She smiled. I'll keep you posted on how things shake out here. Keep that dock worker close. Keep your head down. She nodded, then broke the link. Joss refilled his coffee and sat down at his desk. He switched on the audio feed from the bar, took a pencil and paper, and started listing out the low-end jobs he could afford to assign to Scott Walters. He needed a reason to keep him around. A hand on his back, touching him as if through a fog, tracing a single finger down from between his shoulder blades to his hips. 
Jim closed his eyes against the conflicting needs, trying as best he could not to jump away. Her finger, pressing lightly as a dandelion blossom floating in a bowl of spring wine, felt like a cattle prod. He groaned loudly and clutched at his stomach. Are you okay? Allie moved her face to his back and breathed on his neck. (coughs) He coughed hard, tearing his own throat, and used the spasms to cover up, flinching away from her. He wanted to turn over, to tell her everything that had been building in his mind. But he couldn't. No longer sure if he did it to spare her feelings or protect his conscience, he hid inside himself from her and slid out of bed, stumbling towards the bathroom. I feel sick. He staggered and bumped against the bathroom door, and Allie was up and at his side in the space of two breaths, but he shrugged her off and closed the door behind him. I'll be fine. I just... need... He gasped, loud enough for it to carry through the door. To be alone a little while. I'm going to take a shower, settle my stomach. He turned the water on and sat down on the toilet to think. She called at the door for him once or twice, then gave up and went away. He couldn't bring himself to care. He loved her for their history, if nothing else. But when he thought of her, something inside him recoiled and went cold. Deep cold like she wasn't even there anymore. He rubbed his temples, trying to do what he could to dispel his guilt, trying to pretend that the disgust he felt for her wasn't his own shame over his lack of ability to forgive her. It had only been a matter of time before the work ran out, and they actually had to face each other for who they were, and what had happened. No, he did love her. He'd still give his life for her, given the chance, but he couldn't stomach the living death that their life together had become. He needed to get away. The spices had run out, and with them his peace of mind and ability to make do with the endless search for clients, working with a woman he didn't even know anymore. Their smell, their flavor, their texture were the only sharpness, the only life that he had anymore. Everything else was as dead as the cold, dusky light of the domes. He hadn't heard her leave the bedroom yet, so he rifled through the hamper and came upon a change of clothes that didn't smell like they'd been worn before. And he slipped them on, remembering to wet his hair in the shower and towel it off before he steeled himself to brave the bedroom door once again. Allie lay before him playing idly with a string of pearls around her neck, her pubic hair just growing back from a waxing she'd done when they arrived. She said it made her feel feminine after a year of playing at being a man. If we hadn't taken that fucking job, everything would still be okay. Even as he thought it, he knew it wasn't true. If it hadn't been Briggs, it would have been some other damn thing. He did his best to smile down at her, to enjoy the sight of her body splayed before him but he couldn't manage more than a wan grimace. She wasn't looking at him anyway, and if he hadn't known better, he'd have thought she was using her pearls to pray the rosary. He wanted to kneel in front of her and lick at the soft new fur, to kiss her and tell her that everything was okay. He wanted them to be what they used to be, unbeatable, better together than apart, inseparable, working always towards some great accomplishment or another. It seemed like another lifetime. They were further apart now when they were fucking than when they were fighting, 
or in different domes. They didn't even make love anymore. There was no point. A man dying of thirst doesn't have the option of sipping tea. I have to go shopping. Even now, he couldn't just leave. She'd worry. She turned to look at him, and for all the world she looked as if he'd just shot her dog. Her eyes stared through him, a strange, slack-jawed shock, as if she didn't believe he was really there anymore. Somewhere out of her, a sound came that resembled... Mm, okay. Her eyes swung widely and slowly from him back to the necklace, as if they were the fulcrum of a long, heavy pole being moved into place and locked down forever. The pearls moved deliberately through her fingers, one at a time, like a ritual. Jim turned and shuffled glumly through the door and through the sitting room and out through the front door into the harsh dome light. He was free for the day. He had a long journey ahead of himself. He'd messaged ahead to the commune that the spice vendor lived on, and the order would be ready when he got there. And he had more than a sneaking suspicion that Marjorie, a perfect name, she was almost a spice herself, had more to show him. The recycled air here tasted fresher than it did on a ship or on Sidon. The sun was high in the sky, and much of the day was before him. He made his way to the tube train and boarded, looking out on the vast and marvelously alien landscape. So why do I feel like I've just crushed a baby's ribcage? The pearls rotated. Allie couldn't even feel them anymore. She didn't care. She hoped they decided to strangle her as soon as she closed her eyes. She'd gotten her wish. All the trip out to Mars, she'd been hoping Jim would fuck off and die. She wanted him gone. She couldn't bear the sight of him anymore, especially when she wanted him. He reminded her too much of those things she could no longer forget. The only option was to get him as far out of her sight as she could, and she had hoped the son of a bitch would rot. Now she had her wish. He'd found something else. He had his bloody spices. He had something else, too. Someone else? He had a mission to go look for work, which he wasn't doing well. But it did keep him busy. She was here doing all the small-time research work for routine stuff that kept them fed and in-house. Barely. He had stopped looking at her. When they were in the room together, his eyes avoided her as if she were a piece of rotting meat. Eight months ago on Sidon, he couldn't keep his eyes off her. He was thrilled every night when she took off her costume and demanded that he remind her that she was really a woman, after all. Now he couldn't even get hard unless he had his eyes closed, fantasizing about something else. Anything else. She hoped he never came home. Then she'd never have to hide from his eyes again. Wouldn't have to make herself invisible so that he wouldn't point them at her. They looked too much like a past she was still trying desperately to ignore. The fingers of her right hand strayed to her belly and traced the stretch marks. Her eyes stung as if she'd just rubbed them with salt. Maybe the pearls would strangle her. 
after all. You've been listening to Episode 12 of Antithesis, Book 1, Predestination, and Other Games of Chance. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. This episode starred Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, Nathan Lowell as Senator Bill Shelley, Brian Levy as Jim, Aaron Balabanian as Allie, and Kitty Nakian as the newscaster and the computer. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2008 Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook was recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Alley, California. The book is copyright 1997 and 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2008 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the author. The following message has been approved by the Inner Council of the SSDWC, the Secret Society for Delayed World Conquest. We here at the SSDWC would like to remind you that playing with either robot weaponry or skyscraper infrastructure is all well and good until somebody loses an eye beam. I'm Kim, the comic book goddess, and I'd like to invite you to a new temple. Here at the Geek Pantheon, we minister to the spiritual needs of our subculture and apply our way of life to the mainstream. We can show you how the deities of geekdom are numerous as grains of sand. There's a little geek in everyone, if you look closely. We'll bring you the gods and goddesses of geekdom to bestow knowledge you won't find anywhere else. As well as commentary from the SSDWC, the Secret Society for Delayed World Conquest. And, of course, your moment of Kim. So join us for talk about everything from alignment to zombies, and all those things that you thought wouldn't fit in between. Geek Pantheon and your moment of Kim. Broaden your geek horizons. Don't enter your battle of wits unarmed. Find us at geekpantheon.com. Jim heading off to a commune to find meaning while Allie stays at home and stews? This can't be good. Nobody trusting Joss Kyle doesn't bode well either, assuming he can be trusted. He can be trusted, right? I wonder... You guys are probably wondering what the hell is going on with the delivery schedule. Well, I don't even have to say probably, as some of you have emailed me wondering when your next fix is going to be. Oh, and it feels so good to know that you're hooked. So here's the deal. This week, we're pretty much back on schedule. You have this episode today, and then the next one is dropping either Friday or Monday. And then episode 14 and the feedback show will drop the first week of next month. I've been swamped with paid work and prepping for SteamCon, and my life has been slipping away inch by inch from me. But I think I'm through about the worst of it now, or at least I hope that the con itself isn't the worst of it. It's supposed to be a good time. The other thing that's been going on is that I'm working on a thin margin. Any of you who are thinking of podcasting your own novel, take a listen to this. Because I'm relearning lessons that other people have learned and that I thought I had listened to, but not quite closely enough. 
You see, with life being uh, busy, I haven't been worked till I'm back ahead like I was at the beginning, which means that when I run into a little snag, the whole show stalls. For example, this episode I ran across a few lines that I'd missed when I broke out the scripts and sent them to the actors, so I had to wait on a very understanding actor to make time in his busy schedule to save my ass. The episode later this week is a big deal on its own, which is why it's not going to be dependably dropping on Thursday, because it's currently waiting on an episode-long original score by Danny Shade. And I mean episode long. This is going to be a fucking symphony. Anyway, um, if I was ahead, I'd have gotten him the rough cut sooner and it would already be done. But all the swampedness kept me from getting it to him soon enough. So he's being a trooper and busting his ass to get us great music. But I fucked up not getting the episode to him soon enough. However, it should be worth the wait. So why will it post Friday or Monday? Well, because I'm at SteamCon this weekend, and I'm not going to have access to the internet or my home mixing station very much. And I'm moderating two panels there. One is called Engines of Empire, about Victorian science and technology, and how the Victorian English managed to change the world in such powerful ways from their teeny little island. The other one is called Steampunk Multimedia, and features myself... Greg Broadmoor from Weta, yes, that Weta that did Lord of the Rings and is based in New Zealand, a body casting artist and a couple other filmmakers. We'll be talking props, audio production, visual effects, production management techniques, and all sorts of other multimedia stuff. It's going to be a great weekend, and unlike a lot of other things I'm associated with, it's going to be family-friendly, and it's okay to bring the kids. There'll be a concert, a formal ball, a number of great panels, a bunch of great parties. Anne and Jeff Vandermeer will be there, along with a lot of amazing prop artists and some of the top names in steampunk design. There are 150 spots left, and tickets for the weekend are $70 at the door. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, please stop by. I would love to see you there. I might even buy you coffee. So as far as the show goes, here's the deal. I'm going to drop the feedback show next Thursday. That'll be the first Thursday in October. Just in time to celebrate the end of election season. Either it will be salve for your political wounds, or it'll be a celebratory moment for you, depending on which side you're on and who wins. Me, I'm voting no, but that's a whole other story. I've gotten a few good suggestions on what to call the feedback shows, but I haven't made a decision yet, so if you've got an idea, call the Antithesis line at 206-350-2340 and leave your suggestions. You can also leave suggestions on the blog at antithesis.jdsawyer.net, or you can email me at dan at jdsawyer.net. Also, send in your questions, comments, attaboys, criticisms, and death threats. I'll take on anything you can dish out. And by the way, if you have a podcast and you want to leave feedback, plug your podcast in the feedback. I'm always happy to have fellow podcasters on. Speaking of which, in the last feedback episode, I announced a contest and promised more details on that in the future. Here it is. If you know what Bill Shelley is up to and why... Send me an email or a voicemail. The first three correct answers, before the reveal, will receive a free My Name is Joss Kyle t-shirt, which will be available for general purchase soon. If you're liking the show, 
help me spread the word. Burn the first two episodes to a CD and give them to a friend, or to an enemy, or to a complete stranger who you happen to see on the commuter train. Post links on forums you frequent, maybe in your SIG line so you're not spamming. And definitely, please leave reviews on iTunes and Blueberry for Antithesis. The more listeners we get, the more fun this is for me, and hopefully for you too. And keep listening on through November as there will be some interesting promotional events. And until you hear from me later this week, what will Jim do when he finds Marjorie? Will anything jolt Allie out of her depression? What is the past they are both running from, and how did she get those stretch marks anyway? And, perhaps most importantly, what will happen if Doug Reeves manages to locate them? Find out next time. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you rig the game.